Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and today I'm excited to have Ananta Raman, Fatah Biraman, who is the CEO of NI, which is a building segment for global payments with a single integration. Online merchants can connect to multiple payment gateways. Wallets, alternative payment rails, and non-financial rails, and uh, it offers a no-code dashboard for product managers to design custom flows to see to suit their business needs. Uh, Anta was earlier CEO of Oro, and was earlier VP of Goldman Sachs. He's done his MBA from Ahmedabad and bachelor's from IIT Madras. Welcome to Shona, Anta. Thank you, uh, thank you so much, Rohit, for having me, and uh, great to uh, talk to you. Awesome. So you know, uh, you you uh, had a had a typical journey where uh, you became an uh, uh, engineer and then you did your uh, did your masters uh, and did your MBA and you went to London. But how was how was your journey uh, in your in your childhood and your initial days and what led to uh, you know Aura? So um, I mean, I, I when I was uh, growing up, right, I came from a middle class family in India, and uh, you know, pretty much all my cousins were engineers. So. I didn't. Uh, it was kind of drilled into my head that if I didn't end up being an engineer, I I would not be uh, doing ju- justice to the rest of the family. So uh, th- there wasn't much uh, thought, I must say. But I was passionate about maths. Uh, I was passionate about numbers uh, from childhood. So that was uh, that always intrigued me. Um, and then once I did my engineering, I was thinking about either going and pursuing um, uh, a PhD uh, or uh, doing a master's in finance. Uh, and to be brutally uh, honest and shameless with you, like the the prospect of having to study for another five years before I see any income, uh, kind of drove me down the path of uh, uh, of, uh, of management uh, studies. Uh, again, there wasn't uh, a lot of uh, thought. Uh, put in in terms of like picking the careers, but then once I got into management, uh, I I kind of focused on either doing uh, uh, because my passion was numbers, uh, going uh, towards banking uh, or operational stuff uh, like uh, supply chain operations and things like that. So that, those were the two things that I was interested in, and uh, I did an internship at Asian Paints to kind of test out one of those uh, uh, passions of mine, and then. Uh, finally decided to go and pursue uh, finance. Interesting. And, uh, you know, what, what were some of the biggest learnings from, you know, being in a company like Goldman Sachs, which is one of the most, uh, 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 you know, competitive places. Uh, and, you know, you've been there for, for such a long time. What, what, uh, what took you to, you know, leave Goldman Sachs and build your own company? See, Gorman is like um, is like salt and pepper. So either you like it or you just uh, hate it. Uh, so uh, what I tend to find with a lot of other Gorman folks is that either they stay for life or for a very long period of time. I stayed for about eleven years, uh, or they leave yeah. within the first six to one uh, six months to a one year or so, somewhere in, in that sort of time frame. Um, I had spent a fair amount of time at Gorman, and uh, you know my father was an entrepreneur. He ended up selling his business because neither me or my brother who also ended up in finance were interested in kind of taking over the business. Um, over the course of my career at Goldman, I had some disposable income. So I started investing in uh, startups. Uh, I got uh, close to a couple of the founders. So I was enamored by the, uh, by the prospect of building something from scratch. 
Uh, and having seen this as an angel investor, I uh, I wanted to do something on my own, and that's kind of what led me to leave Corman to to start my first business. Got it. And you know, before the call, we we, we did talk about that. You know, fitness was was uh, is one of my passions, and uh, you know, when when you were uh, at Goldman Sachs, was it uh, was something you were building on the side? Or, or, you know, what was, why did you choose to build a product which is related to fitness and not something related to finance? Because, you you know, you're deeply involved into uh, into into building financial products. Uh, I mean, not building, but you were involved in uh, in the day-to-day operations of Goldman Sachs. Yeah, see, I think uh, I would say uh, that this uh, fitness was a passion of mine, right? So uh, I was into fitness even when I was at Goldman, but I could... I was into sport from childhood. So I used to play soccer for my school and college teams and so on. So uh, it was always my passion. Um, uh, I, I, in terms of what I wanted to do uh, for uh, at Oro, it was not where we ended up, right? So initially, to be honest, again, uh, we started off by uh, uh, by trying to do something in the, uh, in the medical space. So essentially, we were trying to build a, a video product that would allow uh, consumers to directly connect with their doctors. Uh, uh, so we, we started off with that idea. We tried to, uh, we tried our luck with the NHS to see if, you know, uh, we would be able to connect them over video uh, patients with doctors. Um, uh, we built a queuing product for them, uh, but we found no success in terms of trying to cut through the noise. And, uh, and I had no relationships in the, in the medical space. Uh, to actually force that through. So uh, it ended up being a, a pivot after a pivot after a pivot and uh, ultimately ended up in the fitness space, which was closely affiliated with uh, with what the original idea was. The original idea was to build uh, something like what Babylon looks today. Uh, this was back in 2015-16. Uh, and and were, were you able to raise funding and and you know uh, what was in that process because you're a first time entrepreneur there what what were some of the lessons and learnings you learned from uh, Oro? See, I think uh, one of my biggest lessons was we uh, to be honest with you we uh, we picked the wrong business uh, right and a lot of entrepreneurs at least the first time they go into uh, they go into a business where they probably haven't really thought through what the founder market fit is. Um, when we were running Oro, we clearly realized that, you know, uh, we had not, like both me and my co-founder, uh, who also comes from a tech background, we had not really run a consumer product before. And uh, building and scaling, building a consumer product is one thing, but then scaling it and distributing it requires a completely different skill set, uh, which we, the founding team did not bring. And we uh, that was my biggest learning is there was no founder market fit and uh, we decided uh, uh, therefore that when there was an opportunity to exit the company and sell it uh, we took it uh, because we found that we would do a better job in a slightly different business where uh, our skill sets were more aligned so that was my biggest learning and then the second thing was that we didn't do as well in my previous business was uh, a kind of uh, de-risk uh, some of the aspects where we were not good at. So we we, we couldn't raise enough capital uh, um, being a first-time founder in the UK. I mean, the market has changed so much in the last 
four or five years, like back in uh, 2017, uh, when we when I first left government to start this business, my first round was about 150,000 pounds. And most yeah. of that money actually just came from me and my friends and family. It was a real struggle to kind of raise capital. Um, and it was very hard for uh, for as an immigrant founder to raise money here. Uh, I didn't quite have the connections, so it was uh, a significant challenge for me. But the market has moved on and quite substantially uh, in the last three or four years. Uh, so, uh, and because we were not well capitalized for a consumer product, we we couldn't even de-risk the the uh, you know the consumer facing side the skill sets that we lacked as a founding team we couldn't we're not able to bring somebody experienced uh, in the very early phases of the company on board to kind of de-risk that so those were the two uh, big learnings for us got it and uh, you know especially for first time founders uh, where do they make uh, most of their mistakes uh, is it uh, you talked about funding and talent other other any other areas where you know first time founders also make uh, mistakes see i think founders generally are uh, super enamored by the uh, by the product or the idea that they are uh, uh, building so the most common reasons why companies fail is uh, is not being able to hit product market fit uh, right and uh, <clears throat> this is a concept that uh, we didn't uh, at least i didn't appreciate as well uh, in my first uh, uh, um, uh, venture is are you solving uh, a real hard consumer problem and uh, or a business problem and then how sticky is your product how many how much is your consumer uh, willing to pay for this product and how does that work uh, is this really a business at the end of the day uh, right so it's one thing to build something where a few people might find it uh, useful but is this a real business opportunity is something that uh, founders fail to appreciate. And then the other reasons are obviously capital and then team uh, being the two most prominent reasons why uh, companies uh, or startups fail. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing instructions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan. Uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Okay. And uh, it's it's interesting that, you know, you went on to start your next uh, startup uh, this year. Uh, you've been part of the Y Combinator uh, 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 batch. And what led you to start uh, in a, what was the thought process? Sure. So um, while we were building Auro, uh, we had a uh, so we were a digital uh, subscription uh, product, which is a B two C subscription product, uh, and we were able to essentially sell into any market uh, overnight without having to worry about distribution, like a CPG uh, product. Uh, so we expand. We started out in the UK. We expanded into the US. We expanded. We got a deal in Australia. So in lots of places. And what we found is that the the checkout. Exp- we spent a lot of money trying to optimize the landing page and you know the messaging, the Facebook ad that would bring the customer to our landing page. Uh, but we didn't uh, spend enough time optimizing that final checkout process. And most of the drop off was actually happening on that credit card page. Um, and we started off with Stripe, but we were not able to uh, localize the customer experience for each of the markets that we wanted to uh, operate in. So we, we want uh, our American consumers wanted to pay with PayPal, 
some uh, folks in Asia wanted to pay with other local wallets. Uh, some of the customers wanted to split the payment. So these buy now, pay later products, each one of them uh, became a custom integration that we as a business uh, had to provide uh, at the checkout. And uh, these tickets would be sitting on our Jira board for months. And there would be you know, heated discussions between our growth PM and uh, our engineering team in terms of why these deliverables were not met. So this was a a, a real pain point uh, for us. Um, so, and we started to think about how the architecture needs to look like in, uh, in order to, uh, to build this as a, as a standalone product. So once we sold the company, uh, we decided this was, our, this was an exciting space for us to be building on because it was a problem that we experienced. And we talked to a few other founders who were in the same space and they all had pretty much the same problems. Right. And, you know, I had few founders who got into Y Combinator, but, uh, but once you get into Y Combinator, it's always a special feeling. But uh, <laughs> yeah, how was your experience in Y Combinator and the whole process, especially, you know, uh, since in the, I think the last two years, it's been, uh, it's been all uh, virtual now. What was your experience? And uh, I think you, you, you're still part of the y, uh, YC uh, batch right now. You would be graduating soon. So uh, uh, you know, j- just, you know, wanted to understand your experience there. Yeah, I think uh, this experience has been transformational for us uh, as a business um, on a few fronts. So we were part of startup school before uh, in our yeah. previous business. We, we couldn't get, go to YC uh, uh, we, or we didn't get through to YC. And then also from a logistics perspective, uh, it was going to be very hard. Like I have a young family uh, here in London. Karthik has a young family here uh, in uh, Bangalore. It would be very hard for us to kind of uproot ourselves, uproot the engineers, and then uh, move to San Francisco for three months. Uh, uh, that was not an option. But in this instance, we were lucky to kind of get through. And also it was remote, so it, it kind of ticked all the boxes. In terms of how it is being transformational, I think uh, it's mainly it is focused the minds of myself and my co-founder to think in the same way, which is the YC way, which is uh, to iterate fast, break a few things, put something out there, get quick customer feedback, and then complete that loop and keep building and iterating instead of trying to hypothesize what the customer need would be. I mean, we come in with a with a lot of bias into this product because we experienced the pain point. So <clears throat> we were building, uh, initially our, our idea of building this product was significantly biased by what we had experienced. But we also, uh, uh, but going through YCS kind of forced us to not full, uh, build out the entire product as we had imagined and kind of build a, a minimum version product that we can share with customers, get feedback and iterate and uh, uh, and move quickly on. Uh, I think that's been the uh, uh, enormously helpful. And then obviously, uh, YC provides you a great network of folks who have been through this journey of other founders and learning from other founders in terms of the mistakes that they made either on the capital raising side or on the hiring side or on the sales side, I think has been enormously uh, helpful. And then not to mention the network of investors that uh, YC has exposed us to, which uh, has enormously benefited uh, our business. So I, I would highly, highly uh, recommend it. All right. No, I think uh, Y Combinator has been, uh, has been special in the last uh, couple of years. And you know, I want to talk about, uh, in a, uh, you know, especially when I was at OU Rooms, we, uh, we struggled with uh, understanding what, which would come uh, sooner, supply or demand. Uh, I want to understand how, how do you onboard clients and what are the, some of the distribution strategies that you use to 
to uh, to onboard uh, clients for 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 a product like yours yeah so i mean you're right right this is a chicken and egg problem and with respect to payments uh, because we are an aggregator business we had to show up with at least a minimum number of integrations because if you just show up only with stripe as an integration then there's not much value to uh, working with ai as opposed to going directly with uh, with let's say stripe uh, so i think we focused on a couple of things we focused on like one market uh, initially right we focused only on like cross border merchants and uh, we are focused on prime where the pain point is the most brutal in terms of uh, them wanting to expand to multiple markets in the earlier stages of their life cycle uh, because they don't have to worry about distribution and uh, our product en enables them to do just that um, and uh, we focused on trying to uh, uh, focus on the smaller companies because they are much easier to onboard so currently we are working with a lot of startups who uh, and it's easier to onboard a startup than a, uh, than a company that makes already you know several hundred million dollars in uh, revenue so that, those were some of the the things that uh, that we uh, adopted correct when come to when came to the market did you focus more on on the us market with uh, or you know how did you get to decide which market to to capture because i think you you did talk about uh, rightfully like uh, the asian uh uh players uh, would want to take local wallets and uh, and american counterparts would want to use paypal so how did you get to decide you know which market to tap into uh and especially with the with the with the local startups what was what was the process of you know uh of deciding which uh, which found, which uh, you know founder should take up what what particular hat or role uh, in the in the initial stages See, I think in the initial stages that we have, we had very clear understanding between us as founders as to what roles we would assume. I was going to focus, and I continue to focus on sales and marketing and then fundraising. And Karthik focuses primarily on product and engineering at this point in time. And obviously, we get uh, we are uh, we kind of split some of the sales calls and so on and so forth. Uh, but there's a clear delineation in terms of responsibilities, and I would highly encourage other founders to kind of. think through that delineation so we can have some kind of kpis at least for the founders so we put some targets and i think one thing that i forgot to mention is uh, yc forces you as a team founding team to to set measurable goals on a periodic basis be it two weeks or four weeks and i that's something that we absolutely want to incorporate even once we are out of yc um, because i think that culture of having measurable goals and then evaluating what you did against those goals and trying to understand what led you to not meet those goals or beat those goals can be quite powerful uh, in kind of pushing your business forward even once you are not in that program um in terms of the market i think we looked at where the pain point was the most acute where was the fragmentation in terms of payment providers the most acute is primarily in asia uh, and so we are focused on a lot of merchants that are getting into asia these could be us merchants getting into asia or asian merchants just expanding locally where the fragmentation is the most in terms of local payment methods yeah, us is fairly unified uh, other than paypal and and cards uh, but uh, but in asia the uh, uh, the 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 distribution of alternate payment methods is significantly larger in many markets if you don't offer apms you could lose almost 50% of the volume uh, so that that's uh, so that, that's how we kind of thought about what was the the initial markets that we would focus on 
Got it. Interesting. Uh, you, you you talked about you know goal setting, and uh, I, I I wanted to understand you know what what are the frameworks that you you use to decide what to delegate and what to control, not only among your founding team but among your employees as well. Yeah, this is uh, this is a hard uh, uh, this is a hard uh, that there are no easy solutions and there is no fixed recipe for things like this, right? Because every team is different. It also depends on the structure of your early team, how experienced uh, folks are, and uh, and what uh, you want to do. See, from our previous uh, ex- uh, venture, what we realized is we we kept everything to ourselves as founders, and we are only trying to delegate uh, tasks as opposed to uh, assigning them measurable KPIs and giving them a responsibility. So, but that was uh, a mistake in hindsight. A, it doesn't empower your team uh, who are at, at the, you know, fighting those fr- uh, battles either on the engineering side or on the distribution side. Uh, they are a lot closer uh, in order to make those decisions. Uh, so uh, in our second venture, what we have done is we've tried to delegate at least uh, a lot more of the responsibility to our uh, teams. And we have like KPIs in place. Uh, So for example, we might say that, you know, uh, the success rate of the of our transaction needs to be you know uh, at least ninety nine point nine 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 and the failure rate is like you know ten to the power minus ten. So you give that as a measurable goal to the engineering team and then let them figure out what is the best way uh, to implement your product. You know uh, in order to meet that goal instead of you trying to micromanage. So um, I would. That's something that's worked for us uh, in the second venture. Uh, we are finding, I mean, we're still very early. Uh, it's We found better results uh, with, with a process where we are able to give them uh, measurable goals and evaluate them on the uh, against those goals. Um, and I think one of the learnings that we had is to uh, not to fear failure, right? So uh, you give your team goals, but then you don't necessarily beat them up when they fail to hit those goals, it's more of a collaborative discussion to understand uh, what those goals are. And it also depends on whether those goals are stretch goals or are they realistic goals. So there is a there is some kind of art involved in kind of uh, setting this kind of process in place. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, Anta, you've been uh, a part of a company uh, like Goldman Sachs, you build a fitness a product now into fintech. How do you how do you think about learning frameworks for for new topics? And you know how do you go about uh, constructing your own learning frameworks uh, since you've uh, worked in different uh, uh, verticals in different industries? Yeah, so I try to get, approach the problem from bottom up, uh, right? So uh, if uh, if we had to solve the payment problem for our new venture, we try to understand what the entire uh, flow looks like from the time uh, the customer puts their credit card to the time the money hits the bank account of the merchant. So we try to understand deeply like what that flow looks like. Uh, coming from a finance background, I was fairly familiar with uh, with what uh, we needed to do and then try to break down that problem into uh, a, a series of sub problems, which, uh, you know, smaller teams can basically tackle. Okay, what, what pieces are the software layer? Which pieces require the financial layer? Which piece do we require regulatory licenses in order to be able to do this? What uh, uh, do we, are we in the flow of money or not? Um, and so uh, we try to approach the problem from a, from a bottom-up approach 
tried to break them into smaller bite-sized uh, uh, problems and then assign teams uh, either between ourselves or with the, uh, the early engineers or early people or the product folks that we have and then try to uh, <clears throat> assign them and then do it that way. Uh, if you try and do it uh, right from the top, at least my experience is it's been uh, difficult uh, to solve them. Got it. And, uh, you know, uh, especially in the, in the uh, early stages, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, uh, decisions which have to be made. Now, how do you determine between, you know, uh, head versus heart uh, uh, in, in decisions uh, where, you know, uh, how do you, how do you, how do you amplify what decisions have to be taken through through data versus you know cut decisions? Do you have any process to that? Um, it's a difficult one, right? Uh, I think the most uh, challenging part of running a startup is being able to or being forced to make decisions when you don't have the full data, right? Yeah. We have to pick a market because we don't. Uh, this is a this is an entirely new line of business. Uh, we are going after a segment of customer that has not been served by previous Perfect. products. And we have to make a bet on whether this customer will actually adopt a product like this uh, based on, I don't know, a handful of conversations, right? Uh, if you go to an enterprise, they might want to do, uh, they might hire a consultant, spend 12 months in order to uh, to hire, get the consultant to, to collect these responses and then another 12 months for their teams to kind of poke their head around. And then at the end of it all, after two years, they might decide not to do it. But we haven't got the time um, uh, as a startup uh, team to kind of spend two years because your capital is going to run out. So um, I think it is... Uh, about getting comfortable with making decisions with uh, with partial data and uh, being able to, that's why uh, I really like the approach that YC uh, uh, kind of instills in their founders is don't spend a lot of resources and time on building the full product. Because if you've done that, you've basically exhausted 30% of your runway by just doing that. And you, when you don't know if your customer is actually going to want that product. So it makes sense to build uh, uh, not the full product, uh, a, a limited version that you can put in front of the customer uh, and then get feedback and then go and exp, uh, uh, spend more resources on, uh, on, on kind of further refining it and do it in an iterative fashion instead of uh, going and spending a significant chunk of your resources uh, on, on something that you don't know is going to work. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. Right. And you know, what way do you use data to, uh, uh, you know, further inform the decisions you've made? Are, are there any, uh, any uh, instance, especially when you were running auto or even in, in a, that you've used data uh, for, 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 for better decisions? Absolutely, right. So I think we both come from a, a technical background. Uh, we are both very comfortable uh, handling large sets of data, like at least in uh, Auro, we used to look at uh, when our <clears throat> how to how do we determine uh, the type of content that we want to serve our customer. We would uh, look at you know what the content patterns are, consumption patterns are of all the classes that we have on the platform. 
both from a duration perspective, from a uh, intensity of the class, and so on and so forth, uh, and the types of classes that we were serving. So we would uh, we would spend a lot of time on it. And with respect to Inai, again, we have a similar kind of approach. We look at how many people land up on our website. How many people, uh, which pages do they peruse before they go and either book a demo or take a trial? Uh, and then once they take the trial, how many people actually get into the dashboard? What sort of integrations do they typically make? Uh, they, are they looking for Stripe? Are they looking for PayPal? Are they looking for a Southeast Asian payment company, uh, right? So all of these inform you as a business owner or as a founder in terms of what is it that you uh, you you want to learn from your customer in terms of what they're uh, what they're searching for. And you you know from product perspective, you know uh, how do you how do you determine what to do next and versus you know what to do later on. Yeah, so I think one learning for me is uh, try to solve the, the hair on fire problems, right? So we always try to understand which customer has the hair on fire problem where if this problem is not solved, either the business is going to go under or going to face significant losses. And what is the value that you associate versus that, uh, that hair on fire problem? And we try to prioritize on that basis. If it is... Uh, if, uh, if you don't offer a payment method for a large company, uh, maybe that is, uh, that's not a priority item. But for a smaller company, if, or if, you, if you're operating in one market where that particular payment method uh, constitutes 50% of the volume of e-commerce transactions, then you better offer it because that's going to mean a large dollar value to that particular merchant. So we try to uh, <clears throat> identify what problems are hair on fire problems and what are nice to have. And we focus on only those. And then we also try to weight that against what's the dollar value of the opportunity uh, in terms of value to the merchant and therefore the value to us as a business by solving the problem for our customer. All right. And, uh, you know, you're, you're a second time founder now, but uh, who, how, how do you look, how do you assess risk uh, today? Especially, you know, you started the company, uh, you know, after uh, uh, during the time of COVID, but uh, how do you approach to your to risk and decision making? Uh, has it changed over the last four years since you started uh, your, your second company now? It has. I think uh, over a period of time, people too tend to get uh, better at uh, making decisions. Uh, I think for us, uh, at least for me personally, I think uh, uh, having gone through the previous experience, uh, we know what decisions involve uh, people's opinions. Uh, so we used to spend a lot of time kind of arguing within the founding team on how should this product look like uh, for the customer, what what is it that they might like, or what does uh, everybody has a view in terms of what, uh, particularly when it comes to product, and especially when it deals with customer, everybody has a view on how to present this to the customer, and we would spend an enormous amount of time kind of debating within our team, uh, which is essentially a waste of time, uh, uh, right? Ultimately, what instead of have, it's and uh, it's only an opinion of person A versus person B, but what matters most is both of them could be wrong. What matters most is what the customer who's going to pay for that product thinks. So uh, one big thing that we have instituted in the, uh, with Inai when compared to Oro is basically not spend as much time uh, arguing inside on things that really uh, are opinions uh, and therefore need to be driven by 
the voice of the customer either uh, sourced as a qualitative feedback or through data. Got it. And um, uh, I'm going to quickly monitor the top three. What's your favorite business book? Uh, the Hard Thing About Hard Things. Uh, that's one of my favorite. Yeah, I think this is one of the most requested uh, book from, from the guests uh, who come on the podcast. And, uh, you know, if you could go back time when you when you started an entrepreneurial journey or started in I, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? With with my second venture or my first one? Uh, both. Um, I and mean, do you have any, uh, you know, uh, experience which you would want to change or something you would have focused on? See, I think... Uh, uh, Couple of things that I uh, I would highly recommend from my entrepreneur journey is one is uh, really think about the problem that you're solving and the founder market fit and the team market fit. Uh, the second thing is uh, make sure that your family circumstances are all sorted right from a uh, like you need you have other commitments and you need to make sure that you know you have an excellent support system to kind of uh, take you through this. This is a hard ride. Uh, so that's uh, that's something that I would uh, highly recommend uh, other people do. And then the third thing that I didn't do in my first venture is kind of allocate some time for myself, whether it's exercise, whether it's, I don't know, uh, trying to unwind with the smaller holiday of just, a, you know, a couple of days here and there. But I feel that that makes a material difference to, to my own mindset. Uh, in terms of how I approach uh, my day-to-day -day job, and that uh, and that's a learning that I'm taking into my uh, new venture. Yeah, no, all all excellent points. And um, yeah, what's your favorite online tool? For example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom. Uh, right now, I'm on Gmail and Zoom all the time. All right, we'll, we'll put that uh, in the show notes. Um, and, and what is the best way people can uh, can know about NI uh, if they want to use a product? And uh, what is the best way people can reach out to you? Yeah, so uh, I mean, if you are a startup entrepreneur, we uh, we are offering uh, startups uh, six months of uh, free uh, access to our uh, our tool. So you can email us at vip at ni.io, and we'll get you up and running with a global payment stack within thirty to sixty minutes. Awesome, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and thank you so much for taking our time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.